Welcome to the Game Dev Field Guide bonus episode number five. Today's special guest, me, Zaccavelli. This episode of the Game Dev Field Guide is sponsored by the patrons. Everyone in the community gets it for free. The patrons just help support a third episode every month. And I know what you're thinking. This is the episode for July, and it's coming out in August. Uh, Zachavelli, you dummy, it's late. And yeah, I'll fully admit it is late. Um, thank you for being patient. I had a bit of a medical uh, situation that has been going on for a while. It's lasted way too long. Um, it basically just started from an ear infection and <laughs> got worse and worse. And uh, my own fault, because I kind of blew it off, I thought, oh, ear infections are only something that kids get, not a big deal. Uh, turns out if you have a really bad ear infection, well, it can just be really bad. So learn from my mistakes uh, and don't end up in the hospital. But I'm not here to give medical advice. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't take medical advice from your uh, local game dev. I would probably go to a doctor for stuff like that. So, But anyways, yeah, sorry to the patrons. Um, I really, really appreciate their support. And in exchange for that, I offer a third episode every month for the show. And last month I just didn't have time at the end of the month. Well, it wasn't that I didn't have time. I just couldn't work, really. So... Sorry about that, but in the good news, it does mean August will have four episodes of the Game Dev Field Guide, so this should be a pretty uh, jam-packed month. And today, our first segment is going to be Buff Debuff, and I'm going to catch up on all the topics. The second segment of the show is a key thought from me, and it was a key thought I wrote while I was on really strong pain medication, <laughs> um, but it stemmed from a really good conversation in our Discord about trying to send a message with your game or walking the line on societal issues and using games to kind of explore them. So yeah, I think it's kind of a cool, deeper topic and should be really interesting to discuss. So without further ado, let's go to the first segment, Buff Debuff. Buff Debuff is a segment where people give usually one word or one sentence topics on our Buff Debuff channel. And it kind of is like a just off the top of my head. I don't write any notes. I just look at the word or sentence and I tell you if I think it's buffed, that would mean trending up. Um, things that I think are improving or going to be big or debuffed, which would be things that are overhyped, maybe not as useful, kind of in a downward trend. So yeah, let's go ahead and start. The first topic is Twitch, and I would say Twitch, from the perspective of a game dev, is super buffed. Well, let me rephrase that. Twitch is super buffed for your game. It is a great marketing tool. Um, you'll hear some game devs talk about Twitch ability, and that's just like how nice your game is to play on Twitch, how fun it is to watch. Um, maybe it has like some kind of interactive element between chat and the streamer. Games with good Twitch ability have really good marketing and just sell more. It's, it's kind of important 
yeah, if you're going for like a multiplayer type game or any game really, the Twitch ability has to be there or at least is something I think you should think about because Twitch is such a huge driver of sales these days. So if you're making a commercial game, I think Twitch is definitely buffed. But this is something I've also thought about um, kind of from a different perspective. As a game developer, do you like cross over as a Twitch streamer? And in this context, at the moment, I actually think this is debuffed. I own a Twitch and run a Twitch as a game developer, and it's hard to make interesting live content while doing game dev. Now, I want to say that this is just debuffed for the time being, and I'm trying to figure out and plan some ideas for like an actual Twitch game dev show. But what I've discovered is doing game dev as I would normally do it on stream is kind of boring. And that's just because like no one really wants to watch me try to struggle to <laughs> figure out a bug in my code for like 45 minutes. Or like the really tedious kind of things you have to do during game dev. And maybe it's it's probably because of my own skill as an entertainer right now. I probably just need to work on that like making the tedious parts um, not so tedious by just being more entertaining. But I feel like our Twitch streams, like when I do the monthly game jam, when I play those, I feel like we have a lot of good interaction with chat and I talk a lot. And uh, yeah, it's just not there when I'm making games. And I think it's because when I'm making games, it's really hard to focus on talking to chat and then also like talking out my thoughts and I get distracted easily. And yeah, at the moment, I think it's debuffed if you are a game dev Twitch streamer, um, but I think no one really has figured out how to make it interesting yet. And I will say it's not just me. I've, I've watched a lot of game dev streamers, and the most interesting one I know of is Vimlark. So yeah, maybe I should learn some more from him and try and build on his model a little bit. Next topic is instant games. And I'm not, I guess I'm not exactly sure what instant games is or at least the context that this is in but looking at this twitter thread that was posted with the post thank you for doing that it looks like it's a term for a group of games like stadia uh, games you would play in the browser like miniclip and messenger games that you would like that pool game on iphone where you just play it right in the messenger so it's kind of three different things usually when i thought of instant games i would only think of cloud stuff but the messenger and browser games in this context make sense. So yeah, instant games to me are debuffed. And I wish I could actually break this up into their different individual things because I do think messenger games and browser games have a little bit of potential. I definitely have a lot of fond memories on mini clip <laughs> back in like high school computer class. A lot of sort of my game jam I get game jam game ideas come from uh, old browser-based games like that, Flash games and, you know. The Messenger games, I think there's a lot of potential there just because it's so quick and easy, but they also have to be small. So it definitely is hard to build a really tiny, satisfying experience like that, but it being so instant and fun, I think could work. The cloud games thing, I just don't think is there yet. If you're unfamiliar, cloud gaming is kind of the idea where everything is stored in the cloud and you really just stream it to your 
TV or monitor or whatever. You don't really even need a computer. The problem is, is that the streaming quality just isn't that great and you get a lot of frame rate lag and yeah, it just doesn't work flawlessly yet. Um, I'm sure in the future it'll continue to get better and better, but at the moment Stadia is kind of the second generation of the cloud games. I can't remember what the first cloud gaming thing I saw, but I remember the ad for it. It was like, so what is cloud gaming? That's how the ad started. If you remember that, tweet me or something. But yeah, and it's two sort of generations I've seen now. It hasn't worked flawlessly yet. And I don't think it'll be big for big games until it works as good as having your own home console or computer. And kind of hand in hand with that, the next <laughs> um, topic is ISP data caps, which is kind of what we were talking about uh, when talking about instant games. But uh, yeah, this one's a quick and easy. ISP data caps are definitely debuffed. I wish we could come to a better solution here in the United States for ISPs, uh, but right now we're kind of stuck with what we got. But who knows, it could improve in the future. But uh, yeah, at the moment, ISP data caps debuffed. Moving on to the next topic, which is small color palettes. I'm going to say small color palettes is definitely buffed. I think anytime you limit yourself artistically, you actually open the door to creativity. And I think that's kind of paradoxical, um, or at least it doesn't feel intuitive. But I do think it's true. When you limit yourself to a smaller color palette, you one, you'll get a lot better at using different hues and colors and stuff like that to display more information or show more. You're going to practice that skill a lot better because every pixel counts with a smaller color palette. But two, I think a smaller color palette just leads to a more interesting and cohesive look. I think sometimes we want to have this idea that like lots of colors is eye-catching and it certainly can be but it has to be used in the right context. In most games they just have like an explosion of color and I think overall the aesthetic or vibe is kind of lost but with a smaller color palette it's a little bit more focused and you can really come up with like a specific unique look with a small color palette. So if you've never made a game or pixel art with like a reduced or confined color palette, I would really recommend you to do that. It's really good, one, for your own personal practice, but two, you might just stumble upon something like a vibe that you really, really like. Next topic is mixing voxel art with non-voxel art. I'm going to have to say that is debuffed. Um, voxel art to me is a very unique thing that stands out, and the second you add something that's non voxel into it one i think you kind of cheapen the aesthetic and two it just sticks out like a sore thumb to me because it doesn't have the hard blocky edges and yeah to me it just doesn't look as good when you mix art styles like that but it may be that i just haven't seen the right iteration of it yet so if you think you can make voxel art mixed with non-voxel art good more power to you but for me personally i think it's debuffed Next we have node-based programming. Um, this would be, I assume, like visual programming like Bolt for Unity and the Blueprints for Unreal. I think this is buffed. Um, with a few caveats, I personally 
don't do node-based programming because I like the control you can get from just doing it traditional. But as I understand it, the visual scripting or node-based programming is pretty in-depth. Uh, I've heard that both from Unreal users and Unity users. And I certainly understand people who are maybe more visual learners, like it just makes sense in their head to think in nodes and wires and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's just buffed for the simple reason that it allows more people to get into making games that might otherwise not have. Um, I think programming is one of those big hurdles for a lot of people. And maybe the node-based programming is the thing that helps them get over the hurdle. And for that simple reason, I think it's buffed. Next topic is game builder engines. And I'm not exactly sure what that means because isn't aren't all engines game engines game builders but along with the posts on this content they said for example game builder garage so let me just google that quickly and see what we get okay so it looks like game builder garage is this thing on the nintendo switch i was not aware of this it's like a mini game engine within on the nintendo switch it looks really cool looks like it has some um sort of visual or node-based programming type situations going on. But uh, yeah, I'm going to have to say this is buffed. I would have loved this as a kid. Um, I don't know, maybe it's a little too advanced for a kid, but I think anything that helps people from all walks of life get into game dev, I think that's just going to be buffed based on principle. And so if like your first experience of game dev is on this game builder garage... Then yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. Next topic is creative things outside of game development. I think this is incredibly buffed. Game development itself is a collection of a lot of creative things. And anyone who goes to build a game is I think inherently a creative person. And so I want to say that like feeding your creativity uh, no matter what it is you're doing is extremely helpful for your game development career, but also if you're just a creative person, it's nice to make things. I do think there's like that feedback loop, though, where um, you're making things outside of games, and that helps inform your game development, and your game development helps inform things outside of your games, I guess, and your more creative endeavors. I'll give you a good example. Uh, last year I got into the tabletop game Warhammer 40k, which is where you build these little figures, you build a lot of them actually, and you make up an army, but they're all just gray and you have to paint them yourself. And in the hours and hours it took me to paint those, I really got a good understanding of how shadows and light kind of fall upon a silhouette or figure, because you have to paint those details for it to look nice. And I'll say that helps my overall art skills, especially in my pixel art, kind of understanding the highlights and shadows of the figure and of my pixel art. So there's a good example right there of how a creative thing outside of game development actually helped me with my game dev art. And in case you were curious, I play orcs in Warhammer 40k. Next topic is the Steam Deck. The Steam Deck to me is buffed and I think it's going to be really, really great for indie devs. It's kind of competitively priced with um, the Switch and maybe some of the other consoles, 
And as a kid, I can remember, I never had a gaming PC growing up until, well, I didn't have a gaming PC at all until I was an adult, uh, because as a kid, I just didn't have the money. And so I think the Steam Deck definitely brings a younger audience into the Steam ecosphere, I guess. And I know kids nowadays, you know, a lot of them are already on Steam, but I think this competitive pricing really opens up to the door to people who wouldn't usually buy games off of Steam. Thus, this makes the overall market bigger and allows indies to find their niche audience a lot easier, I think. Just because finding your niche or niche audience isn't gated off by having a gaming PC anymore. I think a lot of small indie games will work really good on a handheld, and the Steam Deck being competitively priced, I think that's just a good match there. Also, if it is how I've heard it is, and I haven't done too much research, uh, but if it really is a mobile computer, does that open the door to mobile game dev? Like, can I sit on the beach and do game development? Because that might be really, really cool. Can you imagine doing like, oh man, now that I think about it, this opens the door to mobile game jams. Like destination game jams. Like imagine doing a two-day camping hiking trip while also doing a game jam. I think that could be really interesting. I don't know if that's plausible, but yeah, Steam Deck is buffed. And the last topic for today is NextMind. Now, I haven't heard or seen of NextMind before, um, but looking at the content sent with the post, it looks to be some kind of peripheral controller that uses your brainwaves to control a game, which sounds really, really cool. I have my doubts about its effectiveness, but of course, this is great for accessibility, you know, people who maybe don't have the use of their hands. I think in order to really pull it off, you'd have to make a game specifically for NextMind. Like, I don't think this is going to be like, oh, just play Call of Duty, but with your mind. Um, the game will have to be really optimized and even designed for NextMind. So to me, is this buffed or debuffed? I think this is like right on the line in the middle. Um, it's buffed for its increase in accessibility, but like with a lot of these peripherals and extra controllers, unless the game is specifically made for it, it's kind of extremely clunky. I think actually Nintendo is a company that understands this really well. Think about um, like Mario Kart and that wheel controller that used to come with Mario Kart on the Wii. Mario Kart was made specifically for that wheel controller. And I know you can play it without the wheel, but just <laughs> hear me out for the sake of the example. Because that game was designed specifically for that controller, it works really seamlessly, feels really comfortable, works great. Um, if you tried to use that wheel design to play like a shooting game or a fighting game or something, it's just going to be weird. It's, it's, it's too focused on the driving aspect. And so part of me wonders, like, does a next mine work with like an action platforming game? I could see it working great for like a, some kind of RTS or like a puzzle game, but I don't know. I'll have to learn more about it, but I would say... The accessibility aspect is buffed, but I got a feeling it's going to be kind of clunky. 
And there you have it. We have now covered all of the buff debuff segments. Of course, you can always go onto the Discord and post some more. Anytime you have a thought of like, huh, that thing looks interesting, or you just want some more discussion about a specific uh, topic, just go put that in the buff debuff channel. And by the way, other people go on there and tell their thoughts about buff debuff, and we even have custom emojis for it. So yeah, it's not just for me, it's for everyone. And yeah, it's a really fun game. I like <laughs> I like playing it, I like the quick fire aspect. Um, although I'm sure it's led to me saying some things that don't quite gel or make sense. Especially sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I can't believe at the time I thought that was buffed and I didn't even see this whole other aspect. But it's kind of the nature of the show, so... With that, we're going to move into the second segment, the key thought from our special guest. Our special guest today is me, actually. And like I said earlier, um, I have a quick key thought for you using moral messages in your games and the responsibilities uh, of doing such. Um, Just kind of a deeper conversation, and I will say that this was spurred by a user on the Discord, The Great Magical Hat, And it's actually, it's been a back and forth discussion. Not everyone agrees. And I think that's important to have kind of discussions where there is dissent. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to thank Great Magical Hat for getting it started. But anyways, without further ado, here is uh, a key thought for me that I wrote while I was on pain medication (laughs) in the hospital. Today, my key thought is about sending a message with your games. This key thought comes from a discussion that was had in the Discord. Credit goes to Great Magical Hat for starting it. And the debate is really centered around the question of should you be taking moral stances with the themes and content of your games, and who should be responsible for the messages and lessons game teach? And so I thought I'd write a quick key thought about this question, and I'll maybe even quote some others on the Discord that I thought made good points. And uh, yeah, you're totally welcome to go jump over to the Discord, go under the Advanced Discussion channel, and kind of drop your two cents. Lastly, I want to say that this is kind of a sensitive subject. Um, It requires some grace and tact, and I'm not sure I have either of those. Uh, So if I say something dumb, please come onto the Discord and let me know inform me tell me what i was doing wrong but also consider that i misspeak a lot on the show i think people know i have a kind of a strange cadence um and i put things uh maybe not as clearly as i could sometimes and usually those misspoken phrases kind of just end me up on zacavelli you dummy but with a sensitive subject like this i think misspoken words can carry some weight So I'll keep that in mind, and I just ask you to do the same. So first, let's explore the idea of should games even teach moral lessons and have stances and send messages about societal issues? I think the answer to this is if you want them to. And this is one of the first things that Sean G. actually pointed out on the Discord. Uh, Sean made a good point that Sometimes games can just be entertainment for entertainment's sake. You don't really have to think about themes or messages that hard. 
when making or playing certain games. I think if you look hard enough, you'll be able to find some kind of moral lesson or theme in every game, and that's because games are made and played by people, and anything that revolves around people will have stuff like that in them. But the point is, uh, a lot of people play games for purely entertainment to relax, and yeah, that's the point of some games. Like, I can't imagine Tetris has some, like, (laughs) hidden message about something about our world. I think Tetris is just a satisfying puzzle game that people play to relax. So yeah, I think in the end it's up to the person engaging in the experience to decide how hard they want to look while playing or how loudly they want to say while making a game. And to me, both looking hard and saying loudly and not looking at all and being quiet are fine. In the context of game dev, it should come down to what kind of game do you want to make? So now that we know whether or not we want our game to take a moral stance, um, how do we decide what moral stance to take, and who should decide if the lesson is good or bad? When deciding what stance to take, I think there's really only one path, and that's to make what comes from your heart. Some people might think that there's an opportunity in chasing social trends uh, with the messages of your games, And I think making a game about a societal issue as mostly a marketing or relevancy move is a mistake. And it's a mistake that I think a lot of AAAs make. The reason it's a mistake is because people are smart and can see through a ploy like this easily. As soon as you know it's not genuine, it kind of ruins the moral theme of the game. And that's not to say that the artists and the designers in the AAA studio... Uh, The moral themes aren't important to them. I'm sure to many of them they are. But when it's packaged up in the sort of corporate AAA sort of style, I don't know, I just think a lot of that heart is lost and it doesn't come off as genuine a lot of the time. If as an indie dev you make a game from the heart about a lesson or issue that you truly care about, I think that genuine feeling is going to show. And this isn't, again, to say that one is better than the other, but I think of the good example is music. You can definitely tell in, like, certain kinds of pop music when it was just written for a random pop artist and they mix and matched a bunch of pop artists until they got one that sounded good. And it does sound good, and maybe even it has some kind of message, but it doesn't compare to some kind of indie artist who really is singing a song that they wrote from the heart. I think that's just how art works in general. That's why like a lot of people say like, oh, Van Gogh was a great painter because of a lot he like took a lot of his pain and put it into the art. And yeah, I consider games as art, so I think that property works as well. But here's where things get kind of messy. It's easy to make a game from the heart when you know that the moral message or lesson you're trying to tell will be accepted or the popular view. But it can be extremely difficult to make a game from the heart with a moral message that is maybe something unpopular. Maybe even something that's against the grain. Maybe this message is even going to lead uh, people to be mad at you about it. I think oftentimes there's good reasons people are upset about lessons or themes in games, but there are also games with lessons or themes that are maybe 
before their time. Like the ideas are before their time and so they're not popular now. And the trickiest part is the good and bad, both the games with themes that are before their time and the games with themes that are, you know, bad for bad reasons, like they're hateful or racist or something. Those are all kind of mixed together. And it may be pretty easy to sort through uh, the mixture and say like, okay, uh, this game has some pretty um, extremist views that definitely are not good. But I don't think it's always readily apparent when a game with a moral lesson comes up and it's kind of before its time. But I think it's important that games like that get made because they might lead us to, I don't know, like enlightenments or something that we might not have come to. And that's the beauty of art. And so in the end, I think it's left up to the player and consumer to decide which is which. And despite what you might think, I don't think it's always clear to the player which is which. Like, yeah, what we talked about earlier, sort of games made with hate at their heart. That's a pretty clear-cut, you know, situation. When this uh, topic came up in the Discord, I pointed out a game that I don't even remember the name of, but it was a top-down shooter that was like a mass shooter, I don't know, simulator. And as the player, you played someone going on a mass shooting spree through like a mall or something. And yeah, I would say this is a game made with hate at its heart. And I think most people would reject the morals presented by that game. So yeah, that's an example of a pretty clear-cut, I guess, moral stance. Like I said before, it can be a lot more nuanced than that. Let's take, for example, some kind of capitalism simulator. Uh, That's a bit of a more nuanced issue. I think, of course, there's passionate people on both sides of that argument, and whether or not the morals and stances of your game about capitalism is against the grain really depends on the audience and who's playing it. And that's the kind of game where I mean that the moral lesson may be against the grain for the audience, but it can bring ideas or understanding to people who might not have understood otherwise. The beauty of video games as art is that they have an element of interaction with it. So in the example of the capitalism simulator, let's just for the sake of the argument say you were extremely anti-capitalists and you played this game and you got a better understanding of how a market system like that might work maybe that would sway your opinion maybe you were the other way around you were super pro-capitalism then you got a better understanding of how the system works through this game and you were like wait this doesn't make sense i think video games can be great tools for exploring societal issues and moral stances like that because of their element of interactability, I guess. I think the key as a game dev to doing this right is to make sure that you explore the topic in full. And by that I mean you're going to have to explore the topic from not only your side of the argument but the opposing side as well. Remember that the video games, if they're going to be this interactive art, this tool for an exploring idea, you want to make sure you're making a tool that explores the idea in full. Um, If you're just making a tool that explores only your side of the argument or the other side of the argument, then I don't really think you're making a game for truly understanding the issue. You're making more of an argumentative piece. 
which maybe is your goal, but I don't know. I think it's actually a stronger argument to let someone experience both sides and come to their own conclusion rather than only explaining one side and kind of keeping the perspective, the other perspective in the dark. I think when it comes to moral and societal issues, I think people are prone to getting stuck on one side or the other of the argument, and they sort of see what they want to see. And video games can be a great art form for kind of breaking through this confirmation bias. I think other art forms like paintings and movies, they're kind of experienced through your own lens. But video games, I think, are better at punching through this lens, so to speak, uh, because there's that interaction element between you and the game. And so you might come into it with your own lens, but the game has some kind of transformative property on you. So yeah, in the big picture, uh, because games have this push and pull with those who play them, I think as a game dev, when you want to explore a certain societal issue or a moral stance or send a message, I think you should make the game as a tool or experience for seeing the argument as a whole. I think if the average person can see, feel, and explore a moral scenario and have a full understanding of it, an understanding of both sides, I think their humanity often leads them to the morally right decision. So yeah, uh, <laughs> after recording that, I kind of feel like maybe I went off the rails a little bit from game dev and into, I don't know, people's humanity and stuff. And I think I've done this before and people were like, all right, philosopher boy, get back to the game dev stuff. And I, I do think it's important to consider sort of the deeper discussions like this, especially as a game dev. And yeah, I guess the key thing I wanted to point out was that games are incredible pieces of art if they want to be. And it's the only art form with that interactive ability and sort of push and pull or at least the only art form that I can think of that that's readily apparent to me. And uh, yeah, I think it can be really powerful should you choose to use it. And uh, yeah, maybe something we should all consider as game devs. So with this episode kind of wrapped up, um, I will be catching up on episodes for the month of August. Don't worry, not everything's going to be delayed. So that means you'll get four episodes this month. We should be back to our regular scheduled programming by uh, this week. So look forward to that. If you want to find me on Twitter, um, that's at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. I'm also on the community discord pretty much every day. That's probably one of the best ways to get a hold of me. I'll leave an open invite link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to my ramblings, and I'll catch you on the next installment of the Game Dev Field Guide.